The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Thanks for joining me today on 5G Talent Talk. I'm Carrie Charles, your host. Super excited to have you with me. We have a wonderful guest with us, Jamie Earp. He is the co-CEO and managing partner of Ubiquity. Jamie, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Carrie. Pleasure to be here. Yes. So I like to start out with every guest to learn more about their journey, right? What brought you to your seat today? So tell us your story. Sure. So I was thinking about this earlier, but you know, my journey has been long and winding and you know, not at all what I planned when I left college and into the real world. You know, I was a lobbyist. I was a campaign manager, a fundraiser, all before I even knew what digital infrastructure was, which wasn't a term back then. It was you know, what the tower industry was. So I started off as a tower developer in this space. But you know, I think two things you know, really along this journey, right? two things really were critical to you know, where I am today. One thing is really just universal was and really carried me from all those different roles and backgrounds to when I first entered into the space was people. The relationships that I had established, worked to cultivate, people that I'd been a resource for had helped or they had helped me. Those people were always have the door that opened for whatever the next opportunity was, the next job, going to law school or business, whatever it was, a relationship, a person that I had in my life, either close or arm's length, always were kind of the key component of me finding the next you know, kind of opportunity or challenge or adventure in my life. And, you know, that really you know, stuck with me. You know, I think those people resource, those relationships. So they always open doors. And so that was the primary thing. I think the second thing was hard work and drive. I think I grew up in a really small town in you know, rural North Carolina, about an hour and a half here from Charlotte. And first person in my family to go to college, you know, my parents always joked that when I was born, I was always leaving. I was always looking for more. I was always bored, whatever it was. And looking back, you know, I think it was partly because of the values they instilled in me to no matter what you're doing, you always do it to the best of your ability. You work hard, you never quit. And that has been outside of relationships and people, the most invaluable thing that I've had in my life. You know, I've done a lot of things that were entrepreneurial. I didn't always have a lot of people around me to help you know, do the things I was doing. And so you have to have that inner drive, right? That ambition, you know, the willingness to work hard, you know, never quit. You know, there's always a thousand things that go wrong before things go right. And as you well know, you've done the exact, a lot of the exact same things. And, you know, you, me, our peers, if they didn't have that internal drive to be successful, none of this would work. But at the same time, you can have that internal drive, but not put the right people around you to do all the things that you don't do well. They can see where your blind spots are and frankly are much more capable of doing what they do than like someone like you or I will ever be. Right. I think that's one of the things you have to realize that I'm always happy if I'm the dumbest person in the room. This means I've got the right group in the room around me that know exponentially more about the things that they're engaged in than I will ever be. 
it's that team. But at the end of the day, you're having that drive, having relationships. It's really what has put me in my seat today. So that's a very winded way of, of describing it. But you know, I just can't emphasize enough how for, for people like us in, in this industry, people like us who are starting businesses, starting you know, really trying to create something, you can't shortcut around those two critical components of being successful. Oh, I agree with you so much. In fact, I I say the same thing when people ask me, you know, how did you experience success? You know, I'll say the same thing. It's like relationships, people, your network, number one, and then your work ethic. And it's, you know, it's everything. So that's a fantastic advice, I think, for all of us at any stage in our career. So who is Ubiquity? Tell us the story. So Ubiquity, you know, really started about five years ago, maybe a little longer than that. But in the power space with a, with a great, same thing, a great partner, great group of people who did all the things well that I had no idea how to do well. And, you know, we were really successful. And then after that, I was really looking at what the next thing to do was. And a big part of what I think really drives the values that we bring to our industry or business generally is being a solution, not trying to create a solution that in search of a problem, but you know, kind of seeing ahead and figuring out okay, what, what's going to be the next challenge regards to the industry and what's the next challenge that's coming that if we can be a resource for a solution to be an authentic provider of that and a good partner to our stakeholders. And so working on that, you know, really brought me across again through my relationships, a group that had some opportunities in the space. And so at the end of the day, Ubiquity became, you know, really first to market, but a you know last mile focused digital infrastructure solution provider. Now, obviously, infrastructure focus is what we do. You know, we want to build, own, and manage these critical infrastructure assets on behalf of our partners. But at the end of the day, it had to be something that was a need in the market. And this was a 2019. So COVID hit shortly you know, thereafter. And it really, I think, expedited for the entire industry that the need for, in our instance, last mile fiber networks in underserved, underpenetrated markets was a real necessity. People working from home, they were at school, they weren't in the office. And so Ubiquity really became, through that experience, a real solution provider to the industry. And we've continued to try and do that. We obviously started with fiber networks, fiber of the premise. Uh, we extended that to include you know, in-building networks. We've extended that to be you know, focused on also the data center space, but all focused on the last mile, where historically, these types of assets weren't kind of owned, managed by third parties, right? The carriers have historically always wanted to own their own luck in the last mile because their reputation with the customers, standards of service for the customers is what all these companies really base their reputations on. And they've done a great job historically. But what we saw coming was the need to take all of those services, those 21st century services that these companies were providing to customers needed to be moved over to this 21st century infrastructure. And with COVID and the demand that that drove, plus the kind of the end of the era of free money, being a resource to those companies to be able to build, own, manage these types of critical infrastructure assets in the last mile in a way that was as good as, if not better than, they could own and manage them themselves was critical to us being a real solution, not just to startups, but really established brands who need to be able to trust us as a company, trust our ability to execute, and trust our ability to finance these types of assets, which are it's hard. There's a lot of work, a lot of expertise. They're complicated and they cost a lot of money. And so Ubiquity was able to, with me and my partner that we started the company with, but also the team that we established and built over that time period. And we've been extremely fortunate in doing that, 
gave us real credibility into the market, not only to know how to do it, but also to deliver. So that's really been our story. I think that's the brand that we've created. I think it's gotten to become very recognized and brand in the market that comes with a lot of goodwill. And so we want to obviously keep that moving, keep that momentum, keep delivering for not only our customers, but all of our stakeholders, our investors, our investors, our team, communities that we're working in, which are a critical stakeholder in our business. And you know that's really what we're doing, bringing really 21st century technology to these markets so that all of those stakeholders can benefit, especially as we get into the era of 5G, 6G, smart cities, all those things. None of it works without these types of, of infrastructure assets in play. And so we want to play our part and do it to the best of our ability. So, I mean, I travel a lot. I'm at conferences. I'm in meetings all over the country. And I hear the name Ubiquity everywhere I go now. So, yes, you have done a phenomenal job, whatever you're doing and however you're doing it. And I want to go a little bit further into that with, you know, now there are other players doing the same thing. What makes Ubiquity unique? Like, what is it? Is it about your model specifically? Like, what is it differentiates you? Oh, it's our people. I think in this industry, again, nothing that we're doing, I would say, is necessarily, you know, unique or more. We didn't create something that, you know, has never been in the market before, right? What we're trying to do is be a resource and be a solution. But at the end of the day, our brand, the product, the solution that we bring to market, our reputation, everything is really underpinned by the team. And my partner is Jay Gatakar, who I've been you know, extraordinarily lucky to have met him and come across in the early days of this journey and partner with. But from day one, we knew that our biggest differentiating factor was going to be the ability to surround ourselves with a team that was capable of delivering on what we thought at the time. And since it's been reinforced and proven out in the market, but what we thought was going to be necessary to really change the way this industry operated in the last mile environment. And so we were able to really build around us a team of hyper-qualified, tenured executives from the industry that knew how to manage all aspects of the business, the development, the asset management, the customer experience, the financial, the underwriting, all the things that you have to do, everything has to go right in order for us to be able to, de- to deliver on the promise that we make you know, to our stakeholders. And Jay and I joke today that we used to talk 10 times a day, and now we have to you know, schedule a half an hour a week to talk to each other because of everything that's going on. And luckily, we've built out a team from the two of us to now you know, well over 200 people across the country. If you add our third-party kind of uh, resources as well, I think we directly employ about a thousand, you know, kind of full-time equivalents across the country and all the different activities we're doing. But you know, the core Ubiquity team, you know, our people are a little over 200 in our markets across the country. But we've had, you know, I would say 99% success rate in attracting and keeping those people. And you've been obviously you and your firm have been a big part of that as well, helping us identify the right people, not the most talented people per se, not the smartest people, the right people. And Everyone in our industry that is not looking for a job or isn't on the market long, they're all smart. They're all talented. They all have those attributes, but finding the right people is really hard. Not only do they have to be able to do the work, that's almost kind of like, that's the floor. The floor is you have to be able to do the work. What differentiates and what we, we look for are the people that really fit our culture, right? That really fit in with the team. 
And I said, we've been in the early days, we did that by we either knew we hired almost no one except who we knew. We knew we had relationships. We knew that they fit that. And in some instances, people that we didn't know as well, we would bring them on as a consultant. And it's a two-way street, right? I mean, it doesn't do us any good to have good people that we can take complete advantage of their capabilities if they don't like working with us. So it was always something we wanted it to be a fit for both parties. That goes for every stakeholder. We want our customers to feel that way. We want our investors to feel that way, our team, the communities we work in, anyone associated with us, we want them to walk away better off than before they met us. And that's really underlying thing that we try to, to always keep in the front of our thinking and the way we execute. But you know, it really comes down to that fit and that blending in into our culture of being you know, reliable, driven, transparent, just a really good partner to me, to our customers, to you know the team, having all those attributes. And yes, it's, I can say this, it's like the no asshole rule, right? But it's also, it's you want to have the right team you can't have any one person undermining that culture. As you know, that can become an invasive thing. And so we've always been really careful. Even today, when we've grown a lot, we have a team that works with only on finding the right team members. So it's gotten to that point. And so I can't, you know, kind of quality control that, you know, can't micromanage that, neither can my partner or anyone else. But that team is an extension of us and really thinks about that when they're hiring. And again, knock on wood, today we've had very, very high success rate of keeping, not only finding and attracting, but keeping the right people. And I can't, can't stress that, you know, have to be the right people, not only for the work, but for the company. And I think it's something that a lot of firms probably don't think about the same way. At the end of the day, that is what makes us who we are, but also differentiates us from, I think, anyone else in the industry. Boy, there's so much goodness in what you said. And I think what really stood out to me is, you know, that in business, we all have competitors and there's, you know, what will make us different? What's going to make us stand out is our services, our product, you know, what is it? And you continue to say the people and you're spot on. And I think in today's world, we need to recognize that as leaders that it's the people that make a difference, right? And the, you know, the culture that you create. And I know we hear about that over and over again, but it absolutely works. I mean, in your case, it worked. I think we talked a little bit, you talked just briefly about your culture at Ubiquity. Can you go a little deeper there? And I do know what it's like to be on the Ubiquity team because we've staffed for you. It's actually pretty easy. You've got a great reputation. And then once we actually, once we put people, you know, people become employed, they're happy. So, and they stay, but I want to go a little deeper. So tell me more about what it's like to be on the Ubiquity team. So at the end of the day, I'm trying to think of an easy way to explain. I think that at the end of the day, we empower our people to be problem solvers, right? I mean, I think we have value because we are addressing key issues that, again, our customers, our other stakeholders can address for themselves. And so, you know, having a culture of that really focuses on how can I be a resource and a solution for whoever it is that I'm interacting with, you know, a teammate, right? The mayor of the city that we're working in, the customer that's on our network, the people that are giving us money, our lenders, our investors. We always want to be responsive and reliable partners of all those groups to help solve their problems. And that culture of reliability and taking ownership of finding the right solutions, not only providing the solution, but are, are fair and right. You know, and that, I think, is what really is ingrained with us. I think to do that, obviously, you have to be authentic, right? You can't fake this. 
There is no faking drive. There's no faking fairness or transparency or reliability. It's you either are or you are. If you fake it, you can only fake it for a little bit, and then you're found out pretty quickly. And as you know, in this industry, I think every industry, but in life, once you lose that trust, once you lose the trust of whoever that counterparty is, it's hard, if not impossible, to get it back. And I guess the folks that we work with, right, the people that we're problem solvers for are the men and women who, frankly, are part of much larger, much more established organizations whose brands are transcendent and can't afford to have someone like us, you know, cause any type of negative impact. On them. That's why it's been so hard you know, since the beginning, years of conversations, years of discussions, years of you know building trust with different organizations, these large you know, carriers who, again, have never done what we're suggesting they do before. It takes all that. And as you know, it can all come to a screeching halt in a second if you fall short of these pretty basic but hyper important attributes that you have to have. It's too important bet on us if we can't provide these things. And that's what this culture is really built around. We all make mistakes and we mess up. We go, People go too fast, they break things and that's okay. You know, those things happen, no one. But if you do all those things with the right goals in mind, you do it the right way with those levels of accountability, that's how we're going to be successful long-term. But at the end of the day, that's what drives kind of our culture. It's about, you know, respecting the people that we work with, the people that we work for. And, you know, we can just hold to that. And again, hire the right people that truly believe in that and live and kind of work under those pretty simple, but still hard to find standards, then we'll always be successful. I'm not as much as we talk about it. You know, it's the most important thing we do every day is who we work with, who's on the team. So it, it takes all of us, but our team that's focused on that, you know, folks like you who know and understand what's important to us and try to make sure that it's the one thing that we don't get wrong. And that we get it right enough over a long enough period of time. The couple of times that we don't get it right, you know, it's a genuine, just it's not a, a lack of, of integrity in the process or the way that we try to operate you know, as a company. Right. Jamie, describe your personal leadership style. And also, would you say that there's some commonalities of, you know, between each leader on your team? And if so, you know, what are those? What defines a great leader? At ubiquity. Well, as I was thinking about your kind of that the middle of that, looking at our leadership team, but then you kind of drill down into the leaders at different levels of the organization. There's obviously a lot of commonality across that broad group, but I would say we're all very different, especially kind of the core team that we started the company with and that we have top of the company today. But I would say I am very collaborative, probably to a fault sometimes, am hands off, right? I empower people to go and do their jobs. Again, we hire people that are their jobs and we are at their jobs while we hire them. But at the same time, you know, my partner, Jay, he's the same way, but he's also, you know, a great coach. And that is a big part of what he does. And other members of the team, you know, have, have just different personality traits that collectively, again, we really fill in each other's blind spots. I have plenty. And so I need that team, obviously, around me to ensure that nothing gets missed. And also the team that works with us and is more closer to the activity that's going on day to day has those resources, right, to rely on so that they become better leaders, more well-rounded can see where their blind spots are and can help fill those in. But for myself, I think that it comes from the fact that I was an entrepreneur forever and didn't have a big team. I had people that helped and you know things like that, but I didn't have a big team. And so one of the things that I've had to learn over you know the past several years is to really rely on other people. 
not just rely on, okay, I can do it. You know, I've got a, a four-year-old son. I'm constantly catching myself because he's four and he's learning and he's like, you know, trying to like drive the remote control car and he's hitting things. I'm just, I'm just like, can't say, just let me have it. I'll show you. Right. He's got to do it himself. I can't do it. And so he'll never learn otherwise. And so I've had to, you know, I think become a better version of me over these past several years by, you know, relying on all these people. That's pretty easy for me to do that because they're also fantastic and talented and it's very easy to trust and rely on them. But it's something I've had to do and really focus on that collaborative piece, you know, being a resource where and when I can, but at the same time, making sure that everyone's empowered, not only to do their work, but manage their teams, manage their people, and really know that and trust that everyone's going to do exactly what needs to be done in a way in collaboration with me and the broader team. And, you know, we're going to be successful. And so it's been a definitely been a learning experience for me. You really changing my leadership style from one of a, I have to kind of do a little bit of everything to trusting everyone, you know, a lot of other people to really do all those things very well. And, you know, at the end of the day, I tell everyone, my job is to keep gas in the park so that you, know, you can do what you do, whatever resource you need. Do you need me to get you coffee? Do you need me to find you money? Do you need to find new people? Whatever it is, whatever makes gives you the ability to do your job better, that's my job. And if I do that well, I have no doubt that they will be successful and make us successful long term. I love it. I'm hearing authenticity, transparency, trust, empowerment. Those are the traits of today's leader, tomorrow's leader. And you know, I'm it's inspiring me sitting in my seat today because I'm listening to it and saying, yes, 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 that's what we need to do. And those are the leaders that we need to build for our future and for today's workforce. So Jamie, you mentioned something earlier, but came to my mind was that saying that you skate to where the puck is going, not where the puck is today. And uh, I'd like to just get your view on what trend and opportunities are you seeing in the industry now, but they're future, right? So where is it going? What do we need to be thinking of right now and placing our bets on for the future? As we look at the industry, or I guess broader macro trends happening, from my seat, I see a lot of convergence. We historically have always thought about the telecommunications companies. Those were kind of our core focus. But at least in my space, and thinking about digital infrastructure and this compute and connectivity, how we're empowering that type of data in the last mile environment, especially where we operate, we see that really expanding to more than just telecommunications. I think there's a lot of convergence, at least for the need for what we do in the space that we do it, not only telecommunications firms, technology companies, and you know all the different service providers that kind of fall into those segments, especially in the last mile. So there's convergence of technology and communications, but also that kind of the pull to the last mile, proximity to end users, direct connectivity and ownership of those end users. Something that, again, historically, the telecommunications carriers kind of had purview of, right? They were the ones that owned the phone, the TV, the internet, whatever, the wireless in your home or as you traveled. And so the demand for that connectivity to the end user just continues to expand. And you see in this space, I mean, some of the biggest proliferators of data centers, fiber outside of the last mile are technology companies. They're building their own fiber networks. They're building their own data centers. They're building their own things just for their use. In the last mile, that was the solution that we sought out to solve. How can we build these things in environments where 
owner's economics, one single-use asset, single-use network, single-use compute doesn't make a lot of sense. And so I think we'll continue seeing that. I think obviously our core business is fiber. That's obviously more today. That's what is happening today. I think we see the adoption of that solution, not only by startups or smaller ISPs and data companies, but adoption of that by more of the carrier grade, the larger customers in our space. I think that's a near-term future opportunity that we're obviously working very hard to capture. And I think over time, you'll continue to see that along all these asset classes. Obviously, edge compute is still pretty nascent, but you see what's happening in that space with the demand that AI is driving, not only for more and more compute locations, but power or water. They just need so much and there's only so much available, right? So I think there's a lot of demand that will necessitate the need for different types of solutions going forward or distributed solutions. And so I think that's where I see a lot of the industry going. Time will tell. I think we've done a pretty good job over the past few years of being prepared, you know, kind of seeing where we thought, to your point, the puck was going and skating in that direction so that we were ready when it got there. And of course, that's a big part of what we do in terms of the next iteration of our team and the people is how can we continue being on that cutting edge, but at the same time, not losing sight of, of what our core business is today. It's always easy to pick a shiny object. Most of the time, that shiny object is not going to be a shiny if you've kind of left your core business from continuing to be successful. And so I think we'll keep a hard eye on where the industry is going. I think we've got, obviously, the right relationships with all these different industries and segments of the industries and the different companies to have a pretty good idea of what their challenges are. They obviously do a good job of seeing them coming and knowing what they're going to be. And so as long as we keep listening and do talk as little as possible, which is ironic since I'm sitting here you know, rambling a lot, as long as we keep listening to our stakeholders and our customers and staying attuned to their needs and always being creative and trying to find a way to facilitate that need in a way that makes sense for them, not only operationally, but financially, then I think we're going to be in a good position to be a good partner for them for a long time. Yes, I would call you a great listener, Jamie, because every time, every meeting we've ever had, I mean, you really respect us and what we need. And, you know, we listen to you, you listen to us. And I think you said that earlier about how you know, that every single person that you interact with, ubiquity is important, no matter who it is, your customers, obviously your team, but even more your vendors, right? You know, in staffing, it's a little tough sometimes. Sometimes people don't treat us nice. I mean, I'll just say they just don't, you know, some clients don't. So it has just been fantastic to work with you and your team because there's such respect coming from both ways. And, you know, what you put out there is what you get back. And that's one reason I know why you've all been so successful. That's a great point on vendors. I'm glad you said it because I've not said that word as much on this interview as I probably should have, but they are vendors are a integral stakeholder in our ecosystem, whether it be you know, folks like you who find the right people for our company, but also that huge number of third-party FTs that I talked about earlier, they come from our supply chain, the folks doing you know, our general contractors, the people doing all the really hard work in the field, doing that hard work. And if we don't, if we're not attuned to their needs, then there's no way for them to be a great solution for us. I mean, the amount of trajectory we're on in terms of building what we're building at the pace we're building it is completely based on our ability to give groups like that what they need to provide us a lot of resource. And so we have to be just like our customers. We have to talk to them, plan with them, be transparent if we see any changes. Because if we wait till the last minute and because we don't want to tell them something or if we need more, they can't provide it. If we need less, it's going to impact them you know, very negatively. And them wanting to work with us in the future 
if they have options, right? We will always want us to be their first option. If there's a chance to work with us, we want you to choose us. And, you know, you have to treat them like a member of the team. You can't, there can't be surprises if you can avoid it, right? There always are surprises, but it can't be a surprise because I knew it and you did. You have to always be working to ensure that if you need them for the next five years, you know, you've got to give them what they need to be a resource for the next five years. And so it's in my part, obviously, is on the front edge of that and that activity. But it's as important as hiring the right people or having the right investors or working with the right customers or knowing how to engage appropriately with the right communities. Again, everything has to work right. Otherwise, what we do doesn't happen. And so it's definitely a balancing act because there can be conflicting priorities from these different stakeholders. Every stakeholder thinks they're the most important stakeholder. In a lot of ways, they are. But balancing all that is critical. But it's a great challenge. I mean, it's a, definitely a good problem to have. And so we embrace it. And hopefully, we'll continue to have these challenges for years to come. Well, let's talk about that. So where is Ubiquity going to be in five years? What's your vision? I think over the next five years, I mean, we've had, I think the last five years, because we're coming up on our five years of starting to think about what ended up becoming ubiquity. But I think the past five years has been a period of having a vision, establishing a brand, establishing you know a reputation and a credibility in the market. I think the next five years will be executing on that vision. The vision, I don't think has really changed from the beginning. It's obviously expanded and morphed to kind of fit where the industry and where the opportunity is today. But our vision from the beginning was to be a resource, be a solution for carriers in an area where we knew you know, the industry had to change in order for there to, there to be success in this fiber-connected, hyper-adjacent world where everyone needs to be as close as possible to the end user. And so I think the next five years is executing on that and continuing to adapt to constant changes from our stakeholder base and from our customer base. What we're doing today is absolutely the foundation for that. So I think it's just growing off of that foundation. I think we've built a great foundation, our team, our people, our assets, our communities, our customers, but it's expanding on that. So over the next five years, I, I think that we'll see we're positioned if we take advantage of it to see, you know, kind of an, an unparalleled growth kind of in our market. I think we want obviously our goal is to maintain a best in class designation. Whether we end up being the biggest or not, I'd rather be the best and have the best relationship with our shareholders than necessarily be the biggest. There's a lot of big firms out there that aren't necessarily thought of very well or respected kind of internally. And that's not where we want to be. I think we want to continue being the go-to resource for our, our customer base anytime they have a challenge, especially if it's an area that we obviously have expertise in addressing. And so have no idea about how big we'll get or how broad our footprint will be or any of those things. All I do know is that we have a team that can continue to be a reliable provider solutions and we'll grow from there. But I have no doubt that being able to execute on top of this foundation that we've put in place, something that we're very excited to undertake. Gosh, there are so many gold nuggets in this episode. I feel like I want to listen to it again and take a lot of notes. Jamie, this has just been fantastic. What is your website? Just in case we want to reach you and find out more about Ubiquity. Obviously, you're hiring, jobs, open jobs available, anything. Yeah, Ubiquity GP. So Ubiquity G is in George, P is in Paul. UbiquityGP.com is our website. We are hiring. I haven't been on the website today to see what all we're 
hiring for, but we actually have opportunities across our footprint, across our different verticals, our fiber networks, our in-building team, our data center team, and then obviously all of our administrative functions at the management level, finances. But yeah, ubiquityGP.com is a great place to learn about us, everything we're doing. And then, yeah, love to hear from anyone who's would love to engage with us, whether it's a, a customer, a vendor, a potential team member. We've got a great group. And as you know, everything that we do, is, I always say it's like making a diamond. It's all about time and pressure. Even if there's not something that we can do with someone today, my goal is to make sure that at some point in the future, that changes. And so, yeah, we'd love to hear from the audience. And if we can ever be a solution or a resource to anyone listening, hopefully we can be. And if we can be, we'll do our best. Jamie, thank you for your authenticity today. Thank you for coming on the show. This is just incredible episode. I appreciate you. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks for everything you do. All righty. You take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.